had never, until I was an adult, I'd never been to a Catholic church. Um, so that was all new for me. I, I just All I knew about the Catholic Church is what I had seen on TV, maybe what I had a few friends that talked about. Um, so I didn't know a lot. And Catholics have a special way of doing things, just like every other group. And we're going to talk about several of those as we get started here. And it seems like every group in the United States or across the world, really, they have found uh, what maybe they consider the ideal um, era, uh, year, generation, and they kind of latched onto that and held onto that. And as I look from a distance at the Catholic Church, I was like, I wonder if the year they chose was maybe in the 13th century, maybe. And the Catholic Church kind of held on to what the church was doing in that hundred years. And they continue today to do things kind of like that. Now, there was one thing interesting as I looked at the Catholic Church. And they, it's from my perspective, from an outsider looking in, I thought, wow, they have an interesting way of handling their sin bucket. You know, we all have a sin bucket, right? We kind of carry it around with us and we collect all of our sins through a period of time. And the Catholics, though, they had the sin bucket, but they were able to go to uh, this thing called confession. And there they could empty their sin bucket. And then they could go back through the week and they could go back and just fill it up, fill it back up during the week. I kind of liked that concept as I was looking. I was like, that's pretty convenient. I like that. I had a different way to deal with the sin bucket. I'll tell you about that in a minute. But somewhere around, oh, I don't know, somewhere around maybe the 1500s, early in the 1500s, this guy named Martin Luther went and nailed up to the door these 95 theses, his problems he had with the Catholic Church. And then from all of that, eventually we got the Lutheran religion. Now the Lutherans also, it seems, had a ideal generation uh, an ideal time, and, and it seemed to be somewhere around the 1500s. So they really brought everything a much more modern twist. They went from the, from the 1400s to the 1500s, and then they kind of froze that time, it seems, and that was their ideal time. And when you look at the Lutheran uh, religions, you, you seem, the denominations, you seem, they, 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 you can easily look back and say, wow, there's a lot of history there looks like something from maybe the 1500s, so pretty interesting. I happen to grow up Baptist. Don't, don't be shocked. I grew up Baptist. Now, here's the thing about Baptist. There seems to be more Baptist denominations than there are tight suits at a Sunday buffet. I mean, there's just a lot of Baptist denominations. Now, the denomination denomination I grew up with, and this may be true of most Baptists, um, you could maybe lump all the Baptist denominations, all those tight fat suits, um, all those tight suits on fat men, into one group. And you could say this about the Baptists. It seems like they went from maybe the 15th century, 16th, they kind of latched on to the 19th. Uh, the 20th century, back around 1955, they kind of latched onto that, like, this is, this is the way things should be done. This is 
this is great, this is awesome. And you might be thinking, wow, 1955 compared to the 1400s, that's quite a jump, you know, that sounds pretty good. And it might sound pretty good, it could sound pretty good, if it were not for all of the avocado green, burnt orange, and harvest gold that still decorates many of those buildings today. <laughs> not to mention, not to mention, or not to forget, all of the red and the burgundy carpet that's in all of the sanctuaries throughout many of those Baptist churches. And honestly, a lot of that carpet still smells like original. I mean, they, they were original 1955 burgundy. But uh, we had our own way of dealing with the sin bucket. My Baptist way of dealing with the sin bucket. How, what do we do? Because we've got the bucket and it's full of my sin. And so here's what we did. We basically, um, we, we would sin because we knew God didn't like it and God didn't want us to. But we would sin because with our sin bucket, we knew that we could quote the magic verse. The magic verse called 1 John 1, 9. Wave that over the sin bucket and God had to forgive it. <laughs> so it would empty our sin bucket and we could go back through the week and start filling it up again too. So we had our own way of dealing with the sin bucket. Wednesday, I was uh, driving um, Lexi and Lawton and Chloe back to the airport so they could fly because um, uh, that's what you do at an airport. And so I was driving, and we were driving through Malvern, and we passed uh, the Malvern First Baptist Church. Um, I grew up in uh, a First Baptist Church, and as we passed that building, uh, Lawton made a comment, and he was like, don't, uh, don't all the First Baptist churches pretty much look the same, look about the same? And, and listen, that's just architecture. There's nothing wrong with that. Not, not at all. Not in the least. Nothing wrong with that. But I had to agree, yeah? Pretty much, for the most part, all those First Baptist churches, they did look the same. The ones I was involved in, the ones I grew up with, compared to the ones and, and the one we were passing there in Malvern. Which leads me to ask the question, why, why so many white columns? Nothing wrong with white columns at all. They're beautiful. But why so many white columns? Which then leads me to ask the question, why so many steeples? Now, when you ask the steeple question, that crosses many, many different denominations. Why so many steeples? Now, at one time, there's nothing wrong with a steeple. It's an interesting piece of architecture that is really dedicated to the Christian church. And you ask the question, why so many steeples? Now, at one time... Years and years and years ago, maybe hundreds of years ago, people knew why there was a steeple on the building. But today, most people have no idea why there's a steeple on the building. So today, they keep putting steeples on buildings when they build a new building because, I guess, that's the way we've always done it. You know, with all of these varied denominations and varied groups, there's one thing that ties all of these Protestant denominations together, and I guess we could say 
many times it is the steeple that's on the building. They have that in common at least. Well, and that and what they don't have in common is a lot of times what they believe or what they argue about. So maybe the only thing that denominations do that are the same is possibly, well, I guess about the only thing they do the same is they point out how everybody else is doing it wrong. <laughs> they share that in common. And that just doesn't apply to Christian churches, actually. It applies to everybody almost. I mean, the Muslims think Christians are wrong. The Christians think the Muslims are wrong. And the cults, like Jehovah's Witness and the Mormons, they, they think that everybody is wrong, and everybody looks at them, and they think that they're wrong. The Hindus think that they're right, the Buddhists think that they're right, and the Jews think that they're right. And it goes on and on and on and on. But when you take a close look at all of those different denominations, different religions, you do sometimes find one thing very, very, very similar. When you take a close look, you find a common interest of behavior. You see, you have to do something you have to do something, and then there are a certain list of things that you cannot do in order for you to achieve what that religion says that you can achieve. They share behavior. Because in those religions, and many times denominations even, behavior is the key. Now, the same guy that we talked about last week, we're going to talk about again this week. Remember the guy Paul? We talked about him. Uh, he was one of the most religious people in all of Israel. Paul, very religious, so God really had to come and save him. That's what happened. He was so religious that God had to come and save him, and he had to come and change him. And he took that religion from Paul that made Paul so aloof, and that made Paul so high and mighty. He took that religion away and he exchanged it for something very real. He exchanged it for a walking, talking, spiritual relationship with God himself. And that's what happened. And now later, Paul, as a follower of Jesus now, and as someone who is out encouraging churches as they are starting, encouraging believers as they are beginning to follow Jesus, he writes a letter to this group of Christians who are in the country of Rome. And here is part of that letter as he's writing to them. We're going to start with verse 21 out of chapter 3. It says this, But now God has shown a way to be made right with him, without keeping the requirements of the law. God, Paul is saying, has done something for everyone, Paul said. Everyone, even you people in Rome, even us peoples over here in Stuttgart, for everyone, God has done something and it has nothing to do with behavior. Because when we think of behavior, we think of the scales, right? He says, no, 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 this has nothing to, God has done something for you 
Nothing to do with behavior. And it applies, he, Paul says, to you Jewish people. It applies now, we know, to all the Buddhists. And it applies to all the Hindus and all the Muslims. It applies to all the Christians. God has done something for everyone. And he said, it is not based upon your behavior. He goes on in verse 22. We were made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone. Everyone. Everyone who believes, no matter who you are. This is interesting. You say, wait a minute, Harley. Wait a minute, Harley. You can't just lump all of these religions, all of these people together. That's not right because they are not doing it right. There's a lot of difference. You can't lump everybody together because, Harley, you got the Baptist and they're just too baptizey. You got the Methodist, they just give you a little sprinkle, sprinkle. And you've got the Lutheran, they're too liturgical. You got the Catholics, they're too much ritual. Harley, you can't lump everybody together. And that religion over there, they're not right. That religion over there, they're not right. You look to the religions in the East, they're wrong. The religions in the West, well, that includes us. But a lot of them are wrong. You, 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 you can't lump them together. Actually, we're from the East too. You can't lump them together, Harley. They're all wrong. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul says, just hang on. Stop all of that for just a moment. Take your eyes off of their buildings, off of their steeples. Take your mind off of their temples off of their shrines, take your minds off of their mosques. And Paul says, look at the people for just a moment. The people, he says, there is no difference. Then he goes on. Verse 23. For everyone has sinned. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Paul said there is no difference between any of us because, and realize he's talking to Every religion, every person, every sect, every cult, he said there is no difference between any of us because we have all fallen short of God's standard. All denominations, every one of them, all groups, every single one, all races, all countries, all cultures, all religions 
we have that in common. We have all fallen short of God's glorious standard. Now, what is God's glorious standard? Here we go. That's, that's pretty interesting. God's glorious standard is not for us to just live life pretty good. Nope, that's not it. It is not that we must be good most of the time. Nope, that's not it either. It is not that we must be good more than we are bad. That's not His glorious standard either. His glorious standard is very simple. It is perfection. Which means no sin at all. To achieve God's standard, we must have the perfection of God. No sin. To achieve God's standard, we must be sinless like God is sinless. And if not, then you fall short like everybody else. I want to take you back for just a moment. So I'm going to come over here and we're going to hit the rewind button (laughs) for just a moment. Let's rewind you back to my first semester of college. I'm a freshman in college, um, and I am about to take my first set of finals so that I can get out of my first semester as a freshman. Now, back in the olden days when we had to walk to school uphill both directions in the snow, back in the olden days, we didn't have internet, we didn't have cell phones, Um, if you had a phone in your pocket, it's because you stole a pay phone (laughs) and it wasn't in your pocket. It was like this under your arm. So we had no cell phones. So we didn't have any of that. So to promote the, the classes and the courses that were available at college, they, they produced this catalog every semester made out of the old newspaper type stuff that you used to get when you were a kid, a weekly reader. It was just a big version of that, really boring, all words. And so inside of that course catalog was listed for that semester only. It was listed all the courses that were available. It listed um, all the uh, professors that were teaching, all the times that they were available, blah, 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 all the important dates during that semester, what breaks, when the school wasn't meeting, when you were off, things like that. But in a very tiny section, somewhere in hidden in that course catalog in a very tiny section, a tiny box, would list all of the schedules for finals. Now here's for you know, here's where it really separated, I guess, people. You see, your finals were not on your class time, so you didn't just show up at Tuesday at 10 o'clock because that's when you went to class. No, that, no, no, they put it on a different day and a completely different time as well. So you had to show up for your final at that specific time on that other weird day. But you also had to know when that was. You had to go, but you had to hang on to that little course catalog for, for you know, however long a semester is. I'm trying to really make my case here, I know. But so anyway, 
first test rolls around and I, uh, I show up for my final class of about 100, 150, I don't know, could have been 200, I was not a math major, there's a lot of people, nobody was there. That's weird. Guess I'm the only smart one. Nada. Zilch. Zero. Nobody was there. I began to panic, as any freshman might do. I go find my professor's office, which I had never been to before. I don't know how I even found it. But I knocked on the door with some hesitation. Because this is the professor that would throw people out of this class of about 100 plus people if you were 15 minutes late. He would just stop and he would throw you out. So I'm knocking on his door because I'm late. And he tells me the final exam had already happened about four hours earlier. Hmm. I was too late. About 10 minutes into my humiliating discussion with that professor, another student walks up in a panic. They appear to be four hours and ten minutes late for their final. Nope. We are too late. It only represented half of our grade. (laughs) But the professor tried to ease her mind and say, listen, you're not alone, idiots. You're not alone. Somebody else showed up about an hour before you did, so they were three hours late. Um, We're all late. We all missed the testing schedule. We missed our opportunity. We missed our chance. The first one, three hours late. Then there was me, four hours late. And the real dumb person behind me, four hours and ten minutes late. We missed it. There were no differences between us. We were all late. We all missed the final. That was half of our grade. Now just figure that out. So the best we could do would be 50%. And that's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying there is no difference. Some of us are three hours bad. Some of us are four hours bad. Four hours and ten minutes bad. Some of you are only 30 seconds bad. Some of you, though, are years bad. But there's no difference. Paul is saying, we have all fallen short. But there's this little bitty tiny word of hope that's coming up next. It's the word Yet. And it follows what Paul had just said. Now we're in verse 24. He says, yet, which simply means there's more to the story. There's more coming here. Yet, God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. This, what you just saw, is God's great big buyback program. God buys back all of His creation. 
all of his creation that will choose to surrender to him. He buys them back. He pays the price to buy every single one of us back. So now back to my professor. This tough professor, he looked at us. You know what he said? Do you know which one of us, which one of us he chose to show some grace and mercy to? You probably guessed it. The first one, who was only three hours late. He said, you were just three hours late. You can take it. No, no, that's not what he did. That's not what he did. He did not do that. No, 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 no. We were all late. We had all missed it. Three hours, four hours, four hours, ten minutes, didn't matter. We were all late. Missing the final is missing the final. He showed grace and mercy to all of us. And he allowed us to show up at his office and to take the final. And so instead of failing the class, I got my A. But, listen to what Paul says in verse 27. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? In other words, God didn't really have to do so much for me because I was only three hours late. No, 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 no. He says, no, that's ridiculous. No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So boasting about the fact that you got to take the final? No, 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 no. You were a loser. You were late. You missed it. It was your fault. We got to take the final even though it was our fault. Jesus says to us, Open that door. Let them in. Let them take the final. Let them in. They're all late. They all fall short. Every single one of them. But he says to us, I made it possible. You missed the standard, but I made it possible, Jesus says, for everyone, everyone to come in if they will simply follow me in. That's what he says to us. And my friends, that is the good news. That's the good news. That God has given to the church and told the church to tell everyone that's the good news. What is the bad news? The bad news is we have all missed God's standard of perfection. That's the bad news. But the good news is that Jesus paid all of the full price for us missing His standard. That's the good news. So our admission has already been paid by Jesus, by Him, by God Himself. All we have to do is simply follow Him through the door. 
that He opened for us. And that is the message of the church. The good news is for all of us. Every single one of us. Every culture, every race, every religion. This is the good news. That's it. Now listen to this. Here's our bottom line today. If the church's good news is for everyone, then churches should not create an experience to block anyone. Let me say that again in just a slightly different way. If the church good news is for everyone, the church experience should block no one. If the church good news is for everyone, the church experience should block no one. Because it is for all. Why would we create a church experience that points our fingers to someone else and says, you don't do it right. A church experience that says, if you want to fit in here with us, then you've got to dress like us. A church culture. Why would we create a church culture that says, if you want to be one of us, you will know when to sit, when to stand, when to kneel, when to repeat, when to recite, when to get in line. You will know all of that if you want to be one of us. Why would we create a church experience that says, if you look like us, and live like us, and act like us, then you'll fit in with us. Why would we create a church culture that says, if you had a glass of wine with your dinner last night, then don't talk about it here. Because don't you know, in America, Christians don't drink. Why would we create a church culture that says this color of person goes to church over here and this color of person goes to church over here? If this good news is for everyone, why would we create a church experience that says if you're having marriage difficulties, then you better fix them before you come here. And heaven forbid, if you've been divorced, then you just might as well take the next street over and find a church over there. Why would we create a church experience that says you won't fit in here until you are sober and you can stay sober? Why 
would we hold on to a culture, a churchy culture, that pushes people away from a message that invites everybody in? If church is good news for everyone, the church experience should block no one. Let's rewind again. This time, I want to take you back to about 2004. By this time, I had been a student minister, a student pastor, for about 16 years in 2004. 16 years of working with teenagers and seeing teenagers' lives change, and I I loved that part of my life. 16 years, I did that for 17 years. But in 2004, 16 years of doing that, in walks, on one Wednesday night, in walks, a high school kid named Jay. High school student. He's a big guy, tall, broad shoulders. He wears a long black coat, 2004. No facial expression at all as he walks into the room. He was there because his counselor told him, I think you need to go to a church. His counselor told him, I think you need to check this out. So his counselor sent him to our Bible study for students. There were hundreds of students there that night, a room not uh, just about this size. Hundreds of students there. Jay walks in, and as best I could tell, no students approached him or came up to talk to him. And so as he approached the cappuccino bar, he walked up, started making him a cappuccino, and there was a great void of people, no people, a void of no people around Jay. There was maybe this occasional glance in his direction, a look of surprise, maybe an elbow to a neighbor. You see, Jay was a warlock. He was a witch. But Jay was searching for something. He did not know exactly what he was searching for, but his counselor said he might find it there. And as I thought, as I, I thought about Jay, and as I thought about every single church in that small town of about 20,000 people, I could see nowhere In that town, with all of those churches, nowhere where Jay would be able to walk in on a Sunday morning and feel welcomed. And that included the church I was standing in. Every church I knew of was filled on Sundays with Suits and ties and nice shirts, nice shoes. On Sundays, they were filled with people who had kind of whitewashed their lives to pretend nothing was going wrong. 
On Sundays, those churches had their schedules packed and filled with routines that only the faithful people knew. They knew where to go through the hallways. They knew where to sit. They knew when to stand. They knew when to bow their heads. On Sundays, I felt there was no place, no place where Jay could discover Christ. And for me in 2004, that was one of several pivotal moments that led me toward this thing called church starting, which eventually led me here to Stuttgart. The church cultures all around me in 2004, all of them made it difficult and made it complicated for someone to make their way to Jesus. You see, the church had developed an environment for church people and it was just the way they liked it. But you know what? The students did show up. There was a moment of shock that night, a moment of surprise, but the students did show up. And many of them left their comfort zones and they began to love Jay. And I watched Jay over the course of a year. I watched him walk away from, I watched him leave his book of shadows. I watched Jay through a loving student ministry I watched him surrender his life over to the care and the control of Jesus. But Jay never did fit in on a Sunday. May we never become that May we not take what Jesus did and made it easy and we turn it into something difficult. Here's what I want to do. I want to hit pause. I want to hit pause and ask you a question as we wrap this up and the band makes their way to the front. I want to hit pause and ask you this. Does something, anything that you have held on to from your church past actually make it more difficult for someone to come to Jesus? Let me ask that one more time. Does something, anything from your church past that you have held on to make it more difficult? For someone to come to Jesus. That is a question between you and God. Now we need to hit play. We need to hit pause and think about that. But now we need to hit play. And we need to do something. And here's what I'm asking you very specifically to do. Will you 
partner with us. Many of you have, but I, I am unapologetically asking every one of us, will you partner with us to keep this simple? And in order to do that, you have to be here with us. When you are in town, I'm just unapologetically asking, will you be here with us to help us keep simple what Jesus died to make simple? If the church is good news for everyone, the church experience should block no one. And if you'll do that, let's hit fast forward. And let's look and see for just a moment what that would mean. When each of us is doing that, when we are protecting the good news from a church culture, from a church environment that actually pushes people away. When we are protecting the good news from that, we will outgrow this room and this parking lot and the back lot. Because within a 30-mile radius of this building, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people who have been pushed away and who have been blocked by a church environment. So now, will you join us? Let's go love them. All the way to the good news that Jesus opened the door for them. Because He had to open the door for them and us. We were all late. If the church is good news for everyone, the church experience should block no one. Let's pray. Father, Paul said that there is only one God. And He makes people right with Himself only by faith in Jesus. No matter their race. No matter their religion. No matter their country of origin. We all share one thing. We missed Your standard, God. And You met the standard for us all. If we will simply follow Jesus through the door that He opened. And Jesus, may we not make it difficult for people to find You. God, give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we have heard today. And we ask that You give us the courage to do it. Amen.